I don't care, just so long as I got to sing. Ladies and gentlemen, our next item. The artist is Artalis. I'm not familiar with the name, but the technique seems to be quite good, and it's a very nice painting indeed. How will we start? Should we start with $25? Can I hear $25? I have $25, thank you. We'll make it $50. $50? $50. I have $50, thank you. $50. The frame is worth more than that. $60. $60, I have $60. Can I hear $75? $75, thank you, sir. Can I hear $100? $100? Oh, I know why we haven't heard any bids. A lot of those people are signaling. Hey, what kind of signals? $100? $100? What different kinds. How about $90? Guy over there just pulled his ear. How about 85, someone? What do you mean? What the? 85, thank you. <laughs> I have 85. 90, I have 90. Who'll make it 100? And another guy touched his nose. 100, thank you. I have 100. Who'll make it 110? Hey, we could use this in the sketch. Alan could bid on things without even knowing it. 110, I have 110. Who says 120? You could wave at somebody in the front row. 120, I have Who'll say 130? There's a second, honey. Or he could uh, scratch his head, you know, like this. Thank you, sir. I have 130. 130 right there. Let's say 140. We can say supply away. 140. He just did 140 dollars. I did. Yes. Who made it 150? How? Well, you went like this. Thank you, ma'am. One... <laughs> we do. Don't move. I have 150. Do I hear 160? I, be I better tell him we're not bidding. Mm. Who says 16. Listen, I know you want the picture, but you can't raise your own bid. That's a lucky break. <laughs> I want 60. Can I hit 170? I want 70. Who'll say 180? Boy. 180! <laughs> I'll tell you. 180 once. 180 twice. But, but stop him. What am I going to do? Figure out where you're going to hang it. 180. <laughs> Well, have you ever found yourself caught in a snare? All of a sudden, your actions or your words became your own trap. Anybody ever been there before? You said something that you wished you hadn't said or did something you wish you could undone, and we become a victim of our own circumstance. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, you know it's your fault. It's just a, thank you, it's just a part of life, and sometimes it's that part that ends up harming us the most because we don't know how to get out of what we've gotten ourselves into. In the scripture, it says in Proverbs 6 and 2, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth. Words have or consequence. They can build up or they can tear down. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. How many of you ever had maybe a friend in school that 
was always talking about someone. You know what I mean? It was like they, they, they were always coming up with some juicy tidbit and they couldn't wait to come and tell you about it. And then the next thing you know, you're participating in something that's going to harm someone. I want to preach to you for just a little while this morning on this topic. That's going to leave a mark. Would you say that with me? That's going to leave a mark. Words leave marks. The situation that you saw them in was very funny. And you say, well, that could never really happen. My wife purchased, bid on a car at an auction when you were how old? About 14 years old, she went to a car auction with her dad and didn't even realize she was bidding on a car and they sold it to her and her dad had to go up and say, no, no, she's not even, she's 14 years old and they had to run the car through the auction again. So thankfully that she was able to get out of that. But sometimes we get ourselves into predicaments that we want to get. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you said, God, if you get me out of this, I promise you. I got on a roller coaster one time. Seriously, I was in, I was in Dallas, Texas. It was Six Flags over D- Texas. And it wasn't the big roller coaster I was praying about. It was the little one I got on. The big one had a harness that came down and it locked over you. You know, I mean, you're not going anywhere unless the whole thing comes off the track. But that little one didn't have any harness. It didn't even have like a, it it had a little bar, but the bar didn't pull down all the way. And I had uh, Bethany, our daughter was beside me and she was just maybe eight years old. And we're coming up over these things. And man, I'm lifting up out of that seat. And I mean, coming completely out of the seat. And I'm thinking I'm getting ready to come over this bar. And I'm trying to hold her down. And I'm, I'm really getting concerned that I'm, getting go- I'm going to lose her out of this roller coaster or fly out of it myself. And I started praying, God, you get me out of this. And I promise you, I'll never get on it again. And I never did get on that roller coaster again. <laughs> and that the way we operate, we, we get out of one thing and we, we, then God just get me out of, I never, man, I was in a, uh, camping trip with some guys, you know, and man, it's, you know, and I knew something about God. I wasn't living for God at the time. I should have been, but I, a tornado was coming through and we were camping on the backwaters of the Mississippi and we're in this van and they're all sitting up front looking out the windshield and man lightning is flashing and that van's rocking back and forth like this and they're all wow look at that and I'm in the floor in the back praying God please forgive me get me out of here I'm going to serve you I'm going to live for you I promise and I did for that night, we tend to forget what God's done for us. And we allow, we, we allow other people's words to identify us and shape us and, and cause us to become a byproduct of what they're saying. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, don't let them identify you. 
You see, it's the word that we focus on that makes all the difference in the type of mark that's made in our life. How many of you have ever had somebody say something bad about you? Hold your hand up. If you've ever had somebody, hold it up. How many of you'd like to jump up right now and tell who it was? <laughs> we've, we've, had, we've, we've all had people say bad things about us, and sometimes what happens is, is we become so impacted by that that we lose our focus. And we're focused more on what people are saying than on what God is saying. And what you're doing when you do that is you're giving people more control of your life than you are God. Amen. You're saying to God without even realizing it, they didn't even know they were bidding. They, they had run the price of that portrait up and didn't even realize they were participating in it. And I thought about how many times we have participated in our own destruction and didn't even know we were doing it. We're, we're, we, we become a, an unwilling participant or an unwitting participant, not even recognizing that by giving credence to what someone is saying about us, we're tying a ball and chain around our legs and allowing them to become our master and controller. What people say, if we're not careful, will determine how we see ourselves. I thought about, how many of you know that kids can really be cruel? You know, in school, I mean, there, there, were, there were children in school and that either had physical challenges or they had mental challenges. And oftentimes, the people, the, the kids that were supposed to be you know, the, the real intelligent ones were sometimes the cruelest ones. Most of the time when I got in trouble in school, it was because I was defending someone else that couldn't defend themselves. There's something about seeing people picked on or destroyed, if you will, that stirs something at my core. And I think that God made us that way. I really believe that God wants us to fill in the gap, to make up the hedge, to help those that can't help themselves. And so when you study Scripture, you see in the Old Testament repeatedly that God talks about and he says, you take care of the widow and the orphan. What's he doing? He's saying, I want you to pay special attention to those that may not be able to defend themselves or that they don't have influence on. We, on the trip to uh, Lynch, we stopped to eat at uh, Arby's. I didn't see this happen, but David and Paul saw it happen. All I heard was the man yelling at the little boy. What had happened was this little boy was taken off running across the parking lot, and his dad was telling him, you stop that, stop running, stop running. And, I, and all of a sudden, that kid did a, he, he pile-drived his face right into that parking lot, and it was asphalt. I mean, he just, bam, smacked it. I did, did he bust his mouth? 
And, and all of a sudden, the only thing I saw, I didn't see that part happen. The thing I heard was this guy, this kid's crying. I hear this guy, go get in the car. Get in the car right now. I hope you busted your nose, you know, and, and carrying on. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And I, I walked up, and I'm watching this guy because I'm thinking, okay, if he hits this child, somebody's going to be calling the law. Because I'm probably going to jump all over him. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now, let, let, me, let me ask a question. Where do we get our emotions? Who, who gives us the capacity to love? Who gives us the capacity to defend? God does. So, I, do you understand how much more God cares about your children then you care about your children? And you think in your mind, that's not, that's not possible. No one could love my kids more than I love my kids. But God's the one that gave you the capacity to love your children. So his love for your children far exceeds your own love for them. Amen. So what we need to do is try and create an environment where we're teaching our kids that there are some words that matter in your life. And there are other words that are spoken that you need to let go of. Some words that are uttered over you that you need to ascribe value to and other words that are uttered over you that you ought to put in the trash can where it belongs. Don't allow somebody to get on Facebook or Faceless Book and, and start running you down and then all of a sudden you're going to get all upset. Delete them. They don't have to be your friend. Delete them. People tell me, well, you know, so and I, I remember when I was traveling, I had this pastor call me up and he said, man, he said, you, you ought to hear what they're saying about you down here. Have you heard? I said, no, and I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't tell me either. And it got real quiet on the other end. He was chomping at the bits to tell me what some preacher was saying about me. I didn't want him to tell me that. Because I knew if I allowed that word into my life, it was going to begin to affect the way I felt about that individual. And look, I need to make it to heaven. I don't need any bitterness in my heart. I need to make sure that I'm right with God. So I don't need to hear every word that comes around. I don't need to receive every word that comes around. And we need to learn how to squelch words that destroy Everyone say, squelch him. Spell that. My dad used to tell me, he said, if you can't say something, or he said, if you don't have something good to say about someone, then don't say anything at all. That was from a guy that didn't go to church. But I know he loved God. Let me show you the impact that words can have. In 1 Samuel 17, 10, and 11, in the Philistine, this is Goliath referring to Goliath. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Another phrase or another translation said they were terrified and lost all hope. These are, these are soldiers. These are men that had risked their life 
on a regular basis, and now they're terrified, and they've lost all hope. Why? Do you think this is the first time that they've ever had someone threaten them? Is this the first time that they've ever heard words of negativity or, or words of, 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 of challenge? No, it's not the first time. But what they did was they created an environment that allowed the giant to become bigger than God was. And so anytime you allow your problem to become bigger than God is, your focus is on your problem instead of God. And so his words began to terrify them and cause them to lose hope. Oddly enough, it's a, a, a young boy that comes up on the battlefield, a young man that comes up and, and Goliath goes out and he makes the same chant he'd been making for 40 days. And, and when David heard it, David's response was totally different than that army's response. When David heard it, David said, man, who's this guy think he is talking like that? He said, well, who, who is he, this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? Who's he think he is? Then he starts going around. He said, hey, what's going to be done for the guy that shuts, can I put it in plain English? What's going to be done for the guy that shuts his mouth? And all of a sudden they start telling him, well, man, the Saul, the king Saul is going to make your whole house free. And his brother hears it. His older brother Eliab hears it. And he says, hey, David, come here. Hot shot come up here shooting your mouth off trying to make me look bad said who what, what are you doing here anyway who'd you leave those few sheep that you take care of at home he tried to make David feel like he didn't count and he didn't matter you have to understand that the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll use any venue he can to make you feel like you don't count and you don't matter. He'll try and make you feel like you're not enough and you can't do it. But David had spent some time with God. If you want to find a relationship with someone, you need to spend some time with them. And so while they had been on the battlefield focused on a giant's words, David had been on a hillside focused on his father's presence. And so when they meet, Goliath's words don't have the same impact on David that they had on that army. When you learn how to stay in communication with God, when the devil attacks you, his word his, his tactics, his devices are not going to have the same impact on you as it will if you're not spending time in the presence of God. Amen. And so when they come together and he, he, he comes up and he said, hey, man, are you kidding me? You sending a kid out here with a stick? Am I a dog? Do you think he's going to run me? Come on out here, boy. I, I'm going to break you up. I'll feed you to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Come on out here to me. I'll, I'll show you who's boss. David didn't bat an eye because you understand the devil can't impress you if your focus isn't on him. His focus was on God. And so he looks at Goliath and I know he's nine 
nine foot nine inches tall. But do you understand that when you put Goliath up next against God, he looks like one of the chipmunks, man. He's like Alvin, you know. And, and, and when, so when David sees it, all of a sudden David looks at him and he said, man, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This day, he's going to, listen, man, he's telling this giant what God's getting ready to do through him. And he said, today, God's going to give me the victory because the battle's not mine. It's his, and I'm going to take your head off. What do we do when we're faced with a giant? God, what am I going to do? Leave me alone. We get all worked up. We get all out of sorts, and it's because our focus isn't where it should be. We're focusing on the wrong words. Now, let me bring this home to you. How many of you yourself experience this, or you know someone in their life, and they experience someone telling them that they were worthless, and they've carried that with them for years. They've never shaken those words. They've never been able to get away from those words. They haunt them like the ghost of Christmas past. They just keep showing up, and and then it shows up in how they approach life. It shows up in the way they feel about themselves. And I'm thinking life is too short for you to go through it feeling like that you're not enough or that God doesn't care about you. You need to understand that if you were the only one, he would have given his life for you. For God so loved the world, you need to put your name in the place where world is. For God so loved you. Don't allow those things to have that kind of power over you. Now, I want you to hear me because... Galatians, Paul talks in Galatians, and he said, you did run well, but who did hinder you that you should believe a lie? How many of you in your walk with God ever had, you know, those points in your life where, man, you were on fire for God? You know what I'm talking about? Just not many, huh? (laughs) Let's try that one more time. How many of you have ever had a point in your walk with God where, you you know, you just really, you know, you you, you felt, and and then time goes by. It's kind of like when you're first dating. Remember what it was like when you were first dating? You know, when I first started dating Debbie, I gave her everything. She said, I still do. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it was, it was Christmas was coming. I just met her in November. Christmas was coming. I bought her a fur coat originally fake (laughs) special deal at Walmart it was a white fur it turned yellow (laughs) hey it took about 20 years for it to turn yellow she kept it man she had to put up she had to put up I gave her I gave her a a a bear with a heart on it at Valentine's Day I I gave her a ring a gold a a 10 carat gold had a key and a heart and you know, and then we got married, and reality hit. <laughs> Had to pawn my ring, not her ring. I, and my, it was my class ring. I had two of them anyway. I'm just saying that 
when relationship first starts, you tend to put a lot more effort into it. And it really shouldn't be that way. It should, we, we should never fall out of love. We should never fall out of those sweet nothings. Sometimes, you know, it, I, I hate to let you in on my personal life, but sometimes, you know, when I'm, I'm with Debbie and I'll, I'll kiss her soft on the cheek and she'll go, oh. <laughs> well, you know what that does to me. It, I double down. Oh, yeah. I just, because I, I understand that she's responding to something I'm doing. If, if we would learn to spend as much time getting to know God as we did each other, you know what I mean? And, and, and then finding out what it is that God, you know what God loves? God loves it when you trust him. God loves it that when everything falls apart, that you go to him and you say, God, I know you're going to take care of this. He loves that. Because what's that, what's that, what that is doing is it's serving notice on the devil that God's taking care of me. Amen. Now, let me share with you, and I, I'm not going to keep you real long, but let me share with you, I, I want you to see David because you see David at this moment in his life and, and man, he comes out and he's bold and, and he takes on Goliath and he wins the victory. But shortly after that, something would happen. You know David's story. He becomes the armor bearer for the king and, and, and then Saul gets jealous of him. Saul wants to take him out. David gets anointed. Samuel comes and anoints David as the next king and and Saul knows his days are numbered, and so he's hunting David down. David flees from Saul, and he goes to a place called Achish. And, and there, he, I'm sorry, he goes to a place called Gath, and, and there there's a, a king, and uh, Achish. And, and this is what transpires. It's 1 Samuel 21, verses 11 and 12. And the servants of Achish said to him, now this is this saying to the king of Achish, or the king of Gath. The servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Do you get this? They're singing about the victory that God had given him. David hears these men talking about the victory that God had given him, but it caused him to fear because he was focused on the men who were saying it instead of on the God who provided it. Amen. He's there with the king of... Gath, those men see David, they don't want him there. They walk up and they don't say this to the king. You don't want that David here, man. He, he's, he's not good for anything. They don't say that. They see him and they walk up to the king and they said, look, man, 
this guy's for real. This is the guy that they were singing songs about, that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David didn't even realize they were afraid of him. And yet because his focus is on the men instead of on God, a moment that could have been a great triumph for him and standing up and showing what he's made of and the God that made him that way, instead of honoring God and saying, God gave me those victories, king, and, and, and instead of that, he gets afraid and he begins to act like he's insane. How many of you have ever acted like a nut before? Now, be honest, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But how many of you ever got yourself in a situation, you was around a bunch of friends, and because you wanted to make an impression, or you were trying to be a part of the crowd, you started acting like a nut. You know what I mean? Like, you started acting in ways that you normally wouldn't act otherwise. Let me say it this way. You quit being who you really were, and you became something you thought they wanted you to be. Man, that's a horrible way to live your life. Yet kids do it all the time on Facebook, or well, even not just Facebook, but in school. You're, you're becoming what you think they want you to be instead of who God made you to be. You've got to let God be God in you. When I first got saved and, you know, and I, I was in high school and I first got saved, I was trying to, you know, I didn't know how to tell kids about it. So I'd make, you remember those footballs we used to fold up into paper? How many of you know what I'm talking about? It looked like a triangle, you know, and we, we, those of you kids that don't know what this is, get with me after, man, this is a great game for you to play at school. We, you know, we'd fold it up, we'd slide it across the table, you know, and you get to kick field goals with it and everything. Well, I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't know how to witness, and so I'd write down on this paper in big letters, Jesus loves you, and then I'd fold it up like a football, and then on the outside I'd put, do not read this, <laughs> and leave it on tables. Then I'd wait, and somebody'd come by. Because I was afraid. I didn't know how else to do it. But now, I don't need footballs anymore. I don't need to hide behind corners anymore. Because I've come to know him in a greater measure than I knew him before. And the more you get to know him the more his words are going to have an impact on you and you're not going to hide from the enemy any longer. <clears throat> words. Ecclesiastes 5 and 2 says, Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth, therefore let your words be few. Now look, I gotta read this to you in another translation, it's called the message because it, gets, it, it just cuts to the chase and gets right to the point. Don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants to hear. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. <laughs> I had a brother, he's, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but I, I had a brother, 
And he always talked about, you know, he said, well, I was abused as a kid. My older brother, Daryl, told my middle brother, Paul, I was the youngest, but he told Paul, he said, you weren't abused, you were just stupid. <laughs> That's what he told him. He said, Paul, he said, every time dad would get on to you, instead of you keeping your mouth shut, you'd have to say something. And I remember as a kid watching this happening and Daryl looking at Paul going, Paul, shut your mouth, man. Shut your mouth, man. You're getting dad mad. Keep your mouth shut, Paul. Shut your mouth, Paul. And he'd keep on going and finally dad would <laughs> play the Indiana Jones music. <laughs> he'd whip that belt off and, he'd, and, and Paul would end up getting a whipping. Why? Not because dad was abusive, because he couldn't learn to shut up. My dad asked me to pack the trash out one time. Well, he asked me to do it several times, but one time in particular, he asked me to pack it out. And I, I, I had an attitude that day, and he asked me to pack it out. And, and as I was walking away from him, I, I, I remember saying, I don't know how come I always got to be the one to pack the trash out. And about that time, I felt a two-by-four. I learned not to question whether or not I ought to be the one packing the trash out. Now, he didn't, I, he didn't, I, I don't want to play this off like he took that two by his, he just had a two by four in his hand, and as I was going, he just, you know, popped me with it like that. Didn't feel good, but it was enough to get my attention. I'm persuaded that we put ourselves through a lot of stuff because we don't know when to Shut up! <laughs> have, you, have you heard that term? You, what was it? A few years ago, a few years ago, they, they came up with this term, sh shut your mouth. How, how many of you heard that? You know, and it was a term that was supposed to be like endearing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'd never heard the term before. I'm in Texas preaching, and the pastor's wife, I said something, and the pastor's wife looked at me and said, shut your mouth. Honest to goodness, man, I'm looking at her, I'm thinking, man, lady, I didn't know. I didn't know. And, and <clears throat> but then I, I, I learned, you know, the whole, you know, we went with him on a trip and she just told everybody to do that. So I thought, well, she must like me. <laughs> just shut your mouth. Just, and honestly, if we could learn how to be careful what we say, because words have consequence. If a police officer pulls you over because you're speeding, don't roll your window down and go, what's your problem? You, not if you're speeding. If your parents ask you to clean your room up and you don't, and when they walk out and you're sitting in front of the television watching cartoons, don't get mad when they shut the TV off and go, hey, I was watching that. It might be the last thing you ever see. <laughs> I'll never forget, we were, we were preaching a revival and this little five-year-old boy. Was he five? He wasn't even five, was he? Maybe five years old or four years old. And his, his mom took something, you know, we were sitting down to dinner, and his mom 
either took something off of his plate or, or moved something, and, and this was his response. Woman! I was just stepping away from him because I figured something bad was getting ready to happen. Words. You know what? If I were to look at my wife and say, hey, hon, why don't you get up and make me some grub? You know, right now. She'd say, what? I'm just playing. She's looking at me going. But if I, if, if I look at her and I say, baby, I love you. Why don't, I, you know what? I'm going to get up and make you breakfast. She'd probably say, no, let me make you. And I'd say, okay. <laughs> words. Words have consequence. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, words. I'm about to wrap this up. Remember a man named Korah? How many of you remember a guy named Korah? Let me give you a quick rundown of Korah. He's, Moses is leading the children of Israel. Korah is a Levite, so they're responsible for all the temple furniture, moving it and setting it up. And, and it's, a, it's a huge responsibility and a big job. But Korah gets to think, you know what, that, that's not enough for me. And so he goes and he incites a bunch of people against Moses and Aaron, and he goes up to Moses and Aaron and said, you know what, you guys just, I'm putting it in plain English, you guys just think you're hot stuff, man. You think, you, you, you're not the only one that's anointed around here. Man, every, we're all God's children. We're all anointed. You, you just, you, you take too much. And, and Moses, when he heard that, he fell on his face before God because Moses knew God doesn't play. That's why it said, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. God doesn't play. And he got up and he looked at him and he said, look, guys, you've been given all this responsibility concerning the temple. He said, now you, you want the priesthood too? You, you're, take, you, you're, not, you, you're not charging this against us. You're charging this against God. He tells some of the other guys that were with him to come out there. And they said, no, we're not coming out. We don't have to listen to you. And so Moses tells him, get your censors. And God's going to make the decision here on who's supposed to lead in plain English. They go get their censors and God shows up and God's upset. God looked at Moses and Aaron and said, step back out of the way. I'm going to kill all these folks. And they said, no, Lord, not so. I, I want you to see something because there's something demonstrated here. And that's the love of God. Jesus is a prophet like unto who? Moses. So what you see in the characteristic of Moses is what we see happen when Jesus comes. He intercedes for the people. He doesn't want the people to get what they deserve. He wants them to find grace. What we don't deserve. And so he goes out, and then God says, well, then you tell all those people to get away from them. Get, get them away from them. So Moses turns around and said, man, you guys, get away from them, or you're going to get sucked up in their judgment. So if you hang it around folks that talk trash, it's going to have an impact on you. You don't even have to be the one talking it. It's going to have an impact. How many of you have ever been around someone that was always negative? Wave your hand if you've ever been around someone. How do you feel when you leave their presence? Negative. I feel like I need to take a bath. 
Literally, man, because it's like a residue. And I'm thinking, good night, man. Get to, and, and so the, he, he tells him, get away from him, get away from him. They get away. And Moses steps out and he said, now, if these guys die an ordinary death, God hasn't spoke by me. But if something new happens and the earth opens up and swallows them, don't you think about that time Korah's going, ha, ha, that ain't never going to happen. <sighs> Suck them right down. And then it closed back up. Words have consequence. I'm going to tell you up front, I know of at least the two, two of the worst whippings I ever got. I don't remember why I, I don't remember what I did to get it. I know what I did after, how can I say that? I don't remember the act, the crime I committed. <laughs> because it wasn't the crime I committed that got me into so much trouble. It was what I said while I was getting corrected that got me into trouble. So my mom, how many of you know what a switch is? My mom has got a switch and she's switching me. You would think that when somebody is holding your hand, switching you, you'd have enough sense not to say anything. But sometimes there's a disconnect. And so she's switching, and I said something, and I'm not going to repeat what I said. I said something that I ought not to have said. And she looked at me and she said, wait till your father gets home. I was just recuperating from the switching when dad walked in. And I could tell when dad walked in, he'd been thinking about it all the way home. Because I had said something to mom I ought not to have said to mom. And when dad walked in, come here, boy. And I'm telling you, God is my witness. I kept thinking, you big dummy. Why didn't you just keep your mouth shut? We inflict a lot of pain on ourselves because of words we speak. Everybody say, don't say it. You don't want to get caught in a snare. I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, you remember how it used to be that a man's handshake was his bond? And then contracts came out, you know? And so mom's at home, and... This salesman comes by. This is before there was, I know some of you young people aren't going to be able to relate to this, but this was before there was anything called an internet. There was no such thing as the web. There was no cell phones. We had rotary dial phones. And we learned not from Google, but from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And so there was a salesman that came to the house when dad was gone. Now, let me tell you something. You need to make sure that you're not allowing someone to speak into your life when you're not in communion with God. Mom's all alone. The salesman comes with encyclopedias. He talks her into signing a contract to buy these encyclopedias. It was hundreds of dollars. That's probably like, you know, $10,000 today. I don't know. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. 
dad comes home and finds out the guy shows back up and he's saying, you know, he's there for payment. And what do you mean payment? Payment on what? He said, on encyclopedias. Well, we don't want any encyclopedias. You know, he said, well, your wife, you know, said she wanted, he said, I don't care what my wife said. I'm telling you, we don't want any encyclopedias. And he said, well, I've got a signed contract right here with your wife's name on it. And my dad said, can I see that? And he said, yeah, and he handed it to my dad, and my dad ripped it up, and he said, you ain't got one now. <laughs> that guy, man, his face turned about three shades, you know, and he got up and, and left. I'm telling you, we've given the devil permission over us that he doesn't have. He can't do those things unless we give him permission. The Scripture said that the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You've got to give him permission to destroy you. Don't do that. Rip up that old contract. Don't allow him to speak those things into your life. There's a new contract. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let the Lord leave his mark on you. Begin to speak the words that he spoke concerning you. In Psalms 12 and 6, it says the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalms 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. When I got a hold of what God was saying about me. When I understood that God wasn't measuring me by my worst day, that he wasn't holding my past over my head, but that he had a future and a hope for me. So he tells us in Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. When we follow after his word, he's promised us that he'll make us the head and not the tail that will be above and not beneath. He said you'll be made more than a conqueror through him that loved you. Why don't you stand on your feet today and say from now on, God, I'm going to believe what you said about me. Amen. It's time to let go of that old contract. It's never too late to become brand new. Never too late. The devil tries to make you feel like it's too late. He'll pump your head so full of lies, you don't know top from bottom. Look, the Bible said that he's a liar. And he's the father of liars. So doesn't it just make good sense you ought not listen to him? Don't listen to him. Don't, do not allow him to speak over you. I'm real careful about who I allow to speak over my life. I've had, look, I've been in so many meetings, I've been called out and, you know, told I was, there's a few places I was told I was going before I got saved. And then there were places I was told I was going to be going when I got saved. Well, Pastor, what did you do? When you got a word like that, did you run? I had one guy tell me, you know, you're going to China. Another guy tell me you're going to Australia. Another guy tell me I'm going here, I'm going there. And I'm thinking, man, when do I get to go home? <laughs> I don't live my life based on what someone spoke over me. I live my life 
based on what he declared in his word. Now, don't misunderstand me. You know, there is a spoken word. There's the prophetic, and I thank God for it. But I'm not going to part from this for anyone's words. This is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So I hold on to it. When you start understanding how he thinks about you, you lose that whole conception about God sitting with a lightning bolt waiting for you to make a mistake so he can take you out. And instead, I walk away with the understanding that I've got a father that loves me and that would rather die for me than live without me. So I hold on to his word and declare that over my life. Dodie Osteen went to the hospital to the doctors and they sent her home. She had cancer. They sent her home and they told her, you've got three months to live. That was a word from the doctor. She didn't dispute that word. She just didn't focus on that word. Instead, she went to his word. And she wrote down every scripture she could find on healing. She posted it all over her house. And every morning she got up and she would read those scriptures. She would read that he sent his word to heal me of all my disease. She would read that by his stripes I am healed. She would read that over and over and declare it over her. That's been more than 30 years ago. Don't become what someone else said you are. Become who he said you are. My friend, that is his child. You have great value and great worth. You need to walk in that confidence, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to ask you at the close of this service, we're going to have time for prayer. At the end, prayer partners will come up. But So I want them to be ready to come at, after we do this closing prayer. So if you've got special needs, come up. They'll pray with you. But I want us as a congregation, if you would, because if one can put a thousand to flight, the scripture said two can put 10,000. And sometimes if you're isolated, like Goliath tried to do with that army, he said, send me a man to fight. He didn't want the whole army coming. The devil will always try and isolate you and get you to try and go it alone. It's because he knows that when you bring the family of God together, there comes great strength with that. So he tries to separate you instead. So I want you to get a hold of your neighbor's hand. Just reach out and grab a hand. And I want to declare a word over you today, his word. His word said that you're the head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath. His word declared that every time you find yourself in a situation, 
he'll make a way of escape for you. His word is promised that you'll never go it alone. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There have been times in our lives when we felt like we were alone, but we weren't. He was walking right beside us had his arm around us. And when we were about to collapse, he lifted us up and we didn't even know he was there because he's determined that he's not going to lose you to the enemy, but he's going to present you before God, one of his jewels of great price. Would you raise your hands and pray with me right now? Father, today, we choose to believe what you said. We embrace your word over our life. We declare it now. Help us to walk in it, to believe it, and to share it. Let us always speak what you've already spoken about us. Let us believe what is written. And let us always turn our hearts and our focus towards you. We give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise in this house today. Prayer partners, come up. If you're here and you've got a special need, as we dismiss, please come up and they'll be here to pray for you. If you're sick in your body, he's a healer. He wants to heal you. Just stretch your hands out one more time. Now, God, I ask that you smile upon them. Let your favor rest on them. Let them go, God, in the power of your word. Let them always stand, understand who they are in your body. Father, according to your promises, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. If you've got a special need, we're here to pray with you. There, if you would just stop where you're at for just a second, we're going to pray for Jack Leip and his family. They've called hospice in. We know that, look, if, if Jack goes on, we know he's got a great reward coming, but we want him to hang out for a while, and he wants to hang out for a while. So let's just pray and trust God together. Father, we ask you for Jack. We commit him into your hand. You're the great physician. You're the great healer. When men have given up, you never give up on us. So, God, we refuse to give up on you. We pray, God, that you'll hold them, God, at this time, strengthen them, and bring them hope in Jesus' name. Amen.